know, holidays can be hectic. While intended as times of celebration and refreshment, they often end up exhausting more than refreshing. You know, even if we manage to keep shopping under control, trying to fit dinners and parties and family gatherings into already busy schedules can be overwhelming. And if we have to fly somewhere, making travel plans can become a nightmare. Well, obviously, the Apostle Paul didn't have to deal with airports. But he did make advanced travel arrangements, deal with security problems, and face lengthy delays to get where he wanted to be for the holidays. In spite of the hassles, however, he was able to spend time with friends, take time for worship, and find time to reflect. We would do well to make certain our holiday travel plans include those elements as well. We're studying in this 20th chapter of the book of Acts, the first six verses now. And after the uproar had ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and when he had exhorted them and taken his leave of them, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had gone through those districts and had given them much exhortation, he came to Greece. And there he spent three months. And when a plot was formed against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he determined to return through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by uh, Sopater of Berea, the son of Pyrrhus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these had gone on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. And we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. And there we stayed seven days. After spending nearly three years teaching and preaching in Ephesus and seeing the word of the Lord grow mightily and prevail, Paul made plans to head for Jerusalem, no doubt hoping to get there in time for Passover. But first, he wanted to revisit the believers in Macedonia and Greece. He had already sent Timothy and Erastus on ahead, hoping they could help resolve some of the issues that were causing problems in the church at Corinth, problems he addressed in 1 Corinthians, written from Ephesus. And he really wanted to make sure things were in order there before going to Jerusalem. While making plans to leave Ephesus, however, his departure date was moved up just a bit by mob action. Demetrius, you remember, a silversmith who made images of Artemis was losing business. And he convinced the masses that Paul was defaming Artemis and the temple that had helped put Ephesus on the map. After the uproar had ceased, Paul called together the disciples, his friends, and said his goodbyes. Even though his life was in danger, he didn't want to sneak off in the middle of the night as he had been forced to do in other places. After taking time to exhort and encourage them, he left for Macedonia by way of Troas. Now, Luke doesn't give us all the details of the trip, 
But according to Paul's letters, he had apparently made arrangements to meet Titus there, hoping to get news about progress in Corinth. But Titus wasn't there, so Paul sailed on to Philippi without him. They met up somewhere in Macedonia, and Paul got the report from Corinth and wrote 2 Corinthians. According to 2 Timothy... He, it appears that he then sent Titus on to Dalmatia across the Balkan Peninsula and took his time traveling down Macedonia to Greece, exhorting and encouraging the saints along the way. When he got to Corinth, he stayed there for three months, probably during the winter of 57-58. During that time, he no doubt tried to resolve lingering problems in the church And he wrote his great epistle to the Romans. When the sea lanes were once again opened, Paul made arrangements to sail directly to Syria, probably on a Jewish pilgrim ship, hoping to get to Jerusalem in time for the Passover. When a plot was discovered against him, perhaps to throw him overboard, He sent most of his traveling companions, representatives of Gentile churches who were sending contributions for the relief of Jewish believers in Jerusalem by another ship to Troas. Knowing they now wouldn't be able to reach Jerusalem by Passover, Paul and probably Silas decided to retrace their steps through Macedonia back to Philippi before sailing to Troas to meet up with those he had sent on ahead. Luke rejoined them in Philippi. We know that because he once again reverts to the use of we and us. And since Paul hadn't made it to Jerusalem in time for Passover, he celebrated it and the days of unleavened bread, the week-long festival that followed Passover with his beloved church in Philippi. Leaving Philippi, it took Paul five days longer than usual to sail back to Troas. And by the time he got there, he had been on the road for nearly a year. When he started out, he was in a bit of a hurry, wanting to get to Jerusalem by Passover. But he was not in such a hurry that he forgot the importance of spending time with friends along the way. He didn't let the pressure of holiday travel plans rob him of the most important reason for holidays. He took time for family, his church family, and for friends. We would do well to do likewise. When Paul met up with his companions in Troas, he stayed there for a week. Apparently, they were waiting for something special take place on the first day of the week, verses 7 through 12. And on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to depart the next day. And he prolonged his message until midnight. And there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered together. And there was a certain young man named Eutychus sitting on the windowsill, sinking into a deep sleep. And as Paul kept on talking, he was overcome by sleep and fell down from the third floor and was picked up dead. But Paul went down and fell upon him. And after embracing him, he said, Do not be troubled, 
for his life is in him. And when he had gone back up and had broken the bread and eaten, he talked with them for a long while until daybreak, and so departed. They took away the boy alive and were greatly comforted. Acts 20, verse 7, is a very significant verse. For it's here that we learn that Christians gathered on the first day of the week. Earlier, we had simply seen them worshiping with Jews on the Sabbath. And Jewish Christians continued that custom for some time. But they had apparently also begun meeting for distinctly Christian worship on the first day of the week, a day that became known as the Lord's Day, the day he arose. By the second century, it was approximately 58 A.D. in this account, the Christian day of worship was a well-established fact. But this is the only place in Scripture where it specifically stated that they met on the first day of the week, and there is some question as to what exactly was meant by the first day of the week. We know it was the first day after Sabbath, but Luke says Paul preached until midnight, and they fellowshiped until daybreak. Now, if he preached all day and all night, that's a pretty long sermon. So I think the question really is, did this take place on our Sunday evening or Saturday evening. Now, Jewish time was reckoned from sundown to sundown. Sabbath began Friday evening and lasted until Saturday evening. So their first day of the week went from Saturday evening to Sunday evening. Roman time, however, was reckoned from midnight to midnight, like ours. So if Luke was using Jewish time, the Christians were meeting on actually Saturday night, and into Sunday morning. If he was using Roman time, they were meeting on Sunday night and into Monday morning. And there's evidence to support either conclusion. The only thing we know for sure is it wasn't the Jewish Sabbath. Christians changed their meeting day to the first day of the week, and they did so to honor Christ's resurrection. It was on that day they gathered together in Troas. And the stated purpose for their gathering was to break bread. But what did it mean to break bread? Generally, it just meant to eat a meal. But the breaking of bread took on special meaning in the early church and referred specifically to the Lord's Supper. So which is it here? Most likely, both. Breaking bread in the church usually did include a fellowship meal as well as the Lord's Supper. But the Lord's Supper, communion, was the focus of their gathering. And we do know from history that the early church celebrated the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day. Apparently, they didn't feel meeting around the Lord's table every Lord's Day would diminish its meaning or make it too common of an occurrence. The Lord's Supper was the primary reason they met. But it wasn't the only reason. A large portion 
Their time together on the first day of the week was spent in preaching and teaching. Here we find Paul talking with them, apparently preaching or teaching. And Luke notes he prolonged his message until midnight, so preaching must have played a big part in their meetings. Now, there's no mention of singing or praying here, but those elements were also a part of worship and were most likely included in their worship service. We're told in Acts 2.42 that the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And in Colossians 3.16, Paul told the church to sing with thankful hearts to the Lord, and there's no reason to assume all these elements weren't included in their time together on the first day of the week. The bottom line is that they gathered together for worship on the first day of the week. And doing so was a priority for Paul, even while traveling. It wasn't a day to rest up, to sleep in. If anyone was going to sleep, they did it in church. <laughs> At least that's what Eutychus did. They rented up a room. Lamps were burning. It was hot and stuffy. And Eutychus, a, a young man or boy, Luke calls him both, fell asleep. Apparently he fought it. He tried to stay awake but was overcome by sleep. Like apostles in the garden, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And I do have to admit, I find it encouraging that even the Apostle Paul's preaching couldn't keep everyone awake. <laughs> Unfortunately, Eutychus wasn't in a pew. He was sitting in a window. And when he fell asleep, he fell out of the window. He fell three stories and was picked up dead. Not as dead or nearly dead, but dead. Remember, Dr. Luke is writing this. Eutychus actually died when he fell out of the window, but he didn't stay dead. Paul raised him from the dead. Now, this wasn't unheard of. Jesus did it several times. He raised Lazarus, the widow of Nain's son, and Jairus' daughter. And Peter raised Tabitha, or Dorcas, Elijah, and Elisha both raised boys from the dead, and Paul's act most parallels theirs. He went down, fell upon him, embraced him, and then announced that his life was in him. Elijah stretched himself out three times on the widow of Zarephath's son. And Elisha laid on the Shunammite's son, Mouth to mouth, eyes to eyes, and hands to hands. And when he noticed the boy was getting warm, he got up, walked around for a moment, and then stretched out on him a second time. The boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Was it a miracle or CPR? I don't know. But either way, when Paul did it, it was a cause for rejoicing in the church. After raising the young man, Paul and the others went back to the upper room, celebrated the Lord's Supper, ate together, and talked until morning. 
It had been a beautiful night of worship, praise, study, fellowship, and communion with Christ. Even in the midst of the holiday rush, Paul hadn't been in too big a hurry to take time for worship. He remembered that holidays are holy days, as are every first day of the week. He didn't let a special holiday diminish the importance of the Lord's Day or keep him from making it a priority to gather together with believers to celebrate the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Again, we would do well to do likewise every Sunday. Besides, you never know what you're going to miss if you miss a Sunday. How do you think the saints who didn't make it to the upper room on the Sunday Paul was there and Eutychus was raised felt after hearing what they had missed? No, I can assure you that you won't miss anything quite that dramatic if you miss a Sunday at CCC. But I am certain that you've missed a special blessing or two in addition to the regular blessing of worshiping with God's people studying God's Word and meeting around the Lord's table if you haven't made it a priority to be here every Lord's Day. Finally, there's one other thing we note Paul doing that we would do well to emulate during the holidays. Verses 13 through 16. But we, going on ahead to the ship, set sail for Asos, intending from there to take Paul on board, for thus he had arranged it, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Middling. And sailing from there, we arrived the following day opposite Chios. And the next day we crossed over to Samos, and the following day we came to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus in order that he might not have to spend time in Asia. For he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul and his party departed at daybreak from Troas for Asos, on the other side of a little peninsula jutting out from the coastline. It was 40 miles by sea, and all boarded the ship except for Paul. He had made other arrangements for himself. After being in worship and fellowship all night long, he apparently wanted some alone time and decided to walk the 20 miles across land to Asos by himself. It appears he wanted some time to reflect, to think, to pray. This, too, is something we should plan on doing in the midst of holiday travels and a hectic schedule of celebrations. As important as it is for times together, it's also important to have time alone with the Lord. You know, we can get so caught up in the activities of the holiday that we forget the one we're celebrating. We need to take time to be alone with Him. We need to pray. We need to think. We need to remember. 
We need to reflect on life and why it is we do what we do. Paul included some downtime in his holiday plans, and so should we. Still, he did have a schedule he hoped to keep, and once he reboarded the ship, he sailed down the coast, touching on several islands, and then sailed past the harbor leading to Ephesus. Why he didn't plan on stopping there, we can't be sure. Maybe he simply felt there really wasn't a need for him to do so. The church was strong in Ephesus, and the impact of his ministry had already been felt throughout Asia Minor. And he may not have wanted to risk causing another riot. Besides, he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. He had already missed being there for Passover and was now shooting for Pentecost. He knew Christians from all over Judea would be in Jerusalem during either of the holidays and that it would be an opportune time for the elders in Jerusalem to distribute the funds he was bringing. He was obviously a man on a mission. And he never lost sight of it. When his plans didn't work out as he had originally hoped, he just revised them. If all wasn't accomplished during one holiday, he knew another was coming. So he didn't let his mission keep him from spending time with friends, taking time for worship, and finding time to reflect. We too are no doubt on a mission to make our Christmas celebrations all they should be. But let's not let the hustle and bustle of Christmas keep us from quality time with family and friends, from worshiping the one whose birth we are celebrating, and from reflecting on the true meaning of Christmas. Like magi following the star, let's make certain we know where we're going and why.